Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Pastor Xavier Reese on today's Simple Truths. As he became lower than the angels, taking on the form of man, then after the resurrection, he was exalted to the right hand. Now heaven has an added thing. Before was just God there. Now you have the God-man who now can bridge the gap to make intercession and be an advocate for sinners. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Michelangelo, Edison, Thomas Jefferson. History is complete with the great accomplishments of renowned men of art, science, and politics. But the book of books, the scripture, is replete with the story of the greatest name of all. Here's Pastor Xavier with a compelling Simple Truth study titled, Angels Have Nothing Over Jesus. Let's listen. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4 through 9. God the Father through the author, which I believe is Paul, has declared the only foundation that these Hebrew Christians could trust to stand before God, His Son. God has spoken through the prophets in the past, but now He was speaking through His Son in these last days. The reason being is that Jesus is the ultimate prophet who fulfilled all the fragmentary and progressive revelation of the Old Testament to man through the prophets. No prophet could ever claim any of this, these things. All that prophets could do was to proclaim man to repent from their sins. The Son purges man from his sins. The ultimate prophet. So Jesus is superior to the prophets because he is the ultimate prophet of God speaking regarding the salvation of man and the Father using him as the instrument, the vehicle, the Lamb of God. The danger was that these Hebrew Christians were thinking of going back to animal sacrifice and the whole system of Judaism to stand before God. And if they abandoned that, they would have no basis for their sin. Hebrews, as we move through, you're going to be applied to many different things as we move through it. The covering, the atoning, the forgiveness, the purging for our sins is only through Jesus Christ. The biblical revelation, no other. And so having said that, the danger being so real, he begins very strong in the beginning. And now he moves to declare that Jesus is superior to the angels, which is evident by uh, three unique characteristics in verses 4 through 9. Let me read it here. Having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. In the angels, he said, Who makes his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Jesus is superior to angels 
evident by three unique characteristics. First, verse 4 and 5. The superiority of Jesus is by the nature of his name. Secondly, verse 6 and 7. The superiority of Jesus is by the nature of his office. And third, verse 8 and 9. The superiority of Jesus is by the nature of his person. He begins with the superiority of Jesus, that it is by the nature of his name, verse 4 and 5. Notice first in verse 4. The statement of fact is declared that Jesus is superior to the angels by a better name. Jesus is better than the angels. He concludes. He opens up verse 4 with that. Having become so much better than the angels. He is distinct, separate, and superior to angels based already at this point by five things that he's declared in the first opening three verses. Here they are. The Father said Jesus is the final one through whom God is speaking to mankind. Secondly, the Father said Jesus is the creator and heir of all things. Thirdly, the Father said Jesus is the clearest and the most perfect revelation of the Father to man. And then fourth, the Father said Jesus is the one who purges our sins. And then fifth and last, the Father said Jesus, the God-man, is sitting at the right hand of the Father in majesty on high with all authority and power. Based on these five things in the first three verses, he's better than angels. In fact, later on in chapter 1, verse 13, he's going to say, the father later says uh, that he never asked any angel to sit at his right hand until he makes enemies a footstool, only to the son. Jesus did not take on the nature of angels. But he did become lower than the angels to redeem mankind. And he'll deal with that later on in chapter 2, verse 7 through 9. And as he became lower than the angels, taking on the form of, of man... Then, after the resurrection, he was exalted to the right hand. So he's much better than the angels, because now heaven has an added thing. Before was just God there. Now you have the God-man, who now can bridge the gap to make intercession and be an advocate for sinners. That's why he's better. The word better, as you know, means more useful, serviceable, excellent. And in terms of proportional superiority, it's used throughout the book. Thirteen times it appears for Jesus and the work of Jesus. Better than, better than, better than. He's better than, than the prophets, better than angels, better than Moses, better than Joshua, better than the sacrifices. He's playing better. You want a name for the book of Hebrews? Better. Jesus obtained this place of superiority over the angels by inheritance of a more excellent name. Notice that. He says right there in verse 4. The word inheritance is in the perfect tense, denoting something completed in the past with abiding results of the present going on into the future. It's been done. He already has been appointed heir of all things in verse 2, remember? By virtue of being the one who created all things. But not only by virtue of one who created all things, but by virtue of one who has redeemed all things back as he became man, lower than the angels, and now sits at the right hand of the Father in majesty on high. Now the question is, what is this more excellent name? 
Here it is. Ready? Son. That's the name, son. The one through whom God is speaking to mankind now. He already said that in verse 2. In these last days, speaking through his son. Because this is the next phrase that follows verse 3. But not only that, he reinforces this because son is mentioned two times in verse 5, one time in verse 8, and eight more times between chapter 2 and chapter 10. Son, 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 son. That's the more excellent name. So the word son stands for his rank, authority, more excellent than the angels. In fact, the word excellent simply means different, so different. There's such a, a, a gap. There's such a gulf between Jesus and the angels. And he focuses upon the name right now. A son. Now you have close friends. You maybe have grown up with someone who's almost like a brother. And maybe you spend more time than a brother. But he can never be closer than a brother in terms of blood. In terms of biology. Angels are so far from Jesus. The entire division teaches the greater dignity of the Messiah, Jesus, from the angels. From verse 4 here all the way down to 14. And then he'll pick it up again in chapter 2, verse 5, all the way to 18. All that is dealing with Jesus superior to angels. That is why the author concludes that there is a great danger to ignore the words of the Son. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore... Whenever you have therefore, put conclusion. If you've taken logic, put the three little dots as a triangle. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. There's a real danger here for these Hebrew Christians. They want to go back to animal sacrifices. There's no more atonement in animal sacrifices. The priesthood is, is no longer valid. The temple is going to be destroyed Real soon. After 70 AD, no more temple, no more sacrifice, no more priests. But even now, though it's still present, it's not valid. That is why the author not only says this at the very first verse. In fact, verse 1 of chapter 2 should really go with chapter 1. That's a better division. Don't freak out. Chapter and verse are not inspired by the Holy Spirit. They're put there by man, okay? And you can do the same with chapter 3, verse 1, put it back in chapter 2. It's a better division because it's the conclusion of all that proceeds. Okay? Now listen, how early he warns after he's made certain arguments and conclusiveness through evidence. In chapter 2, verse 1. Careful you don't drift. And then at the very end in chapter 12, verse 25, listen to him. Listen. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. The message hasn't changed. The danger's still the same. It's urgency. Now notice, secondly, when you get to verse 5, you have the argument of proof that's given for Jesus being superior to the angels by a better name. This is the first of seven quotes in chapter 1. 
from the Old Testament. Five are from the Psalms, one from Deuteronomy, and one from 2 Samuel. And the majority of them, as we go through them, you're going to see, deal with the return of Jesus Christ for judgment. So from the very beginning, the opening verses of the first chapter, the author is dealing with judgment. You turn away from Christ's judgment that's left. Right from the beginning, he deals with it. Because he knows it's real. And he knows the danger is real. Notice verse 5. This first quote has to do with God, the Father's relationship to the Son, in contrast to angels by declaring the inheritance he is talking about. The first quotation here is from Psalms 2, verse 7. And refers to the second coming of Jesus to redeem the earth through a royal psalm here. Being short-term fulfillment, long-term fulfillment. Which has to imply the resurrection. Because if he's sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high, that means he rose from the dead, right? So it's implied throughout. Listen to him. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? The question is rhetorical. It has an obvious answer. What is it? None. He's never said that to any angel. This is the first use of rhetorical question. You'll see it over and over and over again. It was the usual practice of the synagogue teaching rhetorically. You do it to children. What is this, class? Boom. Rhetorical questions. Now, no angel has ever taken on the seat of Abraham or has ever been declared by the Father the Son of God. Now, angels are called sons of God. But never have they ever been called or won the Son of God or my Son. You find them in Job, you find them in Psalms 86, 89, different places, sons of God. Now notice the second passage, or here, this first uh, quote in the second part there is from 2 Samuel now. So the first one from Psalm 2, verse 7 now this second quote is from 2 Samuel. And it has to do with God the Father's relationship to the Son in contrast to angels by declaring the incarnation to be heir, listen, of the throne of David. And again, by implication, resurrection, to sit on the right hand of majesty on high. The quote refers to the first coming of Jesus to redeem mankind through the prophecy to David by Nathan. Remember David wanted to build a house for God? And Nathan said, go ahead, do what it's all in your heart. And then God, he was walking home, and, and, and God said, Nathan, what are you talking out of turn? Go back and tell him you can't do it. He's a man of blood, man of war. And he said, but you tell him I'm going to build him a house. And Nathan began to proclaim to him, and he prophesied about the birth of Solomon. So short-term-wise, Solomon would be born. Long-term-wise, it would be through the seed of David, the line of Solomon, that Jesus would pick up the throne. And the ultimate fulfillment is he will sit on the throne during the millennial kingdom. The throne of David. He says, and again, for to which of the angels did he ever say, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son? He's quoting directly out of 2 Samuel 7, 14. That's where Nathan gave it to David. Now the question again is rhetorical. It implies an obvious answer. What is it? It's again, none. No angel. Never did he say this to an angel. Jesus alone fulfills the promise of being of the seed of David according to the flesh, Paul says in Romans 1, verse 3. 
the only one. No angel had ever been incarnated through a natural birth. No angel has ever been declared by the Father, Son by God, to be born to redeem mankind. None. Nor can angels be redeemed, by the way. Salvation is only made for man. Now, these first two quotes reveal Hebrew poetry parallelism in what is called chiastic manner, which means that they crisscross. And the evidence is of deity and sonship decreed by God, divine decree. Let me show you what I mean. Look what it says. You are my son, right? That lines up with the end of it. And he shall be to me a son. The second phrase, today I have begotten you, parallels, I will be to him a father. So it's the crisscross. The first part of the first sentence and the second, the first lines up with the last and the second lines up with the first of the second one. That's Hebrew parallelism in chiastic manner. Remember, he's writing out of what? The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. The text for Hebrews is Septuagint. All right? And he's following this man. These guys are Hebrews. Lucifer, the highest ranking angel in heaven, choir director, highest angel, ranking angel, perfect in wisdom, perfect in beauty from the day you were created. Though he is the top angel, was the top angel. His name, light bearer, literally, morning star, is inferior to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the son and Jesus created Lucifer. Perfect in beauty and wisdom. The name Jesus in Greek is a translation from the Hebrew name Joshua. And Joshua is a contraction of Jehovah Shua, which means Jehovah's salvation. So Joshua in the Hebrew and Jesus in the Greek means Jehovah is salvation. Listen to the men and the people who spoke to the Samaritan woman after Jesus spoke to her in John 4, 42. The Samaritan said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Jesus did not receive the title Savior of the world in Jerusalem by the Jews. He received it from the Samaritans, which the Jews hated. <laughs> it's greater accountability and guilt to the Jews. Matthew says in Matthew 1, and 23, So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with a child and bear his son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted or translated, God with us. That's a quote of Isaiah 7, 14 by Matthew. In fact, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.10, For to this then we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Listen to the seventh angel in the book of Revelation 11.15. The seventh angel sounded 
And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever and ever. The superiority of Jesus is by the by nature of his name. He is the son. Superior to angels. Notice secondly, the superiority of Jesus is by the nature of his office. First in verse 6, once again, you have the statement of fact that's declared. That Jesus appeared to angels by his office through his human birth. The third quote here is from Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verse 43, and you have a parallel in Psalm 97, verse 7. And it has to do with the distinction between the angels and Jesus, the Son of God. The psalm describes reverent worship. Listen to it. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him, the word but, underline it. It marks the first obvious contrast with verse 5 that precedes it. What the Father obviously did not say to any angel. He did not say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. You will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. He only said that to the son. There's the first contrast. But... The next contrast is marked by his human birth. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, angels did not take on the seed of Abraham. Angels neither took on human nature, nor were they begotten by human means, but rather were created. So the word firstborn here we mentioned is prototakos. It means first in priority, importance, and rank. It doesn't mean first in chronological order. And you find the same word for Jesus, the first begotten in Colossians 1.15 and 18. And in Revelation 1.5, the first born from the dead, the first in rank. That's what it means. Now, Jehovah Witnesses say that Jesus is a created angel, Michael the archangel. He had a beginning. They don't believe he's God. Well, right here, he tells he's the first in rank. As we move on, we're going to see that God the Father calls Jesus God, okay? That'll blow their mind. The quote first gives supporting evidence of the superiority in rank of Jesus Christ here. He is the first in rank. Notice the last contrast is marked by God's command to the angels to worship the Son. Certainly it includes the first coming. He says, let all the angels of God worship him. So the angels worship Jesus as they appeared to the shepherds in the fields. Luke 2.13. They worshiped him. The angels certainly worshiped Jesus as creator because in verse 2, he's creator. In fact, if you've ever read Revelation 5, 7 through 12, you have the 24 elders and, 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 and the numeral number of angels, and they all worshiping Jesus. Learn the song. So when you get there, you know what to sing. They're all on their faces, by the way. The passage gives evidence of Jesus being superior by deity, the God-man. The God-man. 
Pastor Xavier Reese and the one and only Savior, one who truly is above all. Now you can hear this message again if you like online anytime by selecting today's date at the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But there's still more to come right here next time as well. And if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, you can pick up your own copy of this message. And the title to ask for is Angels Have Nothing Over Jesus. It's available on CD for only $4. Once again, the title to ask for is Angels Have Nothing Over Jesus. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. What are the requirements of a Savior? That's our discussion on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com